Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 32 of Off the Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all very much for joining us today, wherever you are in the world right now. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, we are wrapping up International Women's Health Week here on the podcast with two fantastic episodes, and the first of which you are hearing right now, and it's going to be with my good friend and Miami Swim Club head coach, Raylene Ryan. I spoke to Rails a few weeks ago, which wasn't easy to set up because she is such a busy woman, which you will hear in the podcast. And we discussed how she got into coaching, working with the great man, Dennis Cottrell, and what she learned from him and the super squad they had there back in 2000, as well as swimming and how she's seen it changed over her coaching career so far and her coaching philosophies around training. So given that it's Friday, Put your feet up, because let's face it, you've earned it. It's been a long-ass week. Settle in, because Ep 32 with Raylene Ryan starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Joining me today on the show is one of the most hardworking and dedicated coaches I know. She's the head coach of Miami Swim Club on the Gold Coast and has mentored and coached many athletes to success at every level with Australian titles, putting athletes on Queensland and Australian teams. It's a massive welcome to Off the Block Swing podcast to my good friend, Raylene Ryan. Rails, how are you? Good, Robbie. Thanks for that. Seems weird me calling you Raylene. I don't think I've ever really called you Raylene. I don't but, think um, you have. <laughs> <laughs> just rails to me. Uh, mate, you're a, busy, you're a busy bee. You're working hard. And I mentioned that in, in the intro. Give us all a little just insight because I think sometimes people don't really understand how much you do work and how hard you work just even outside of coaching. Give us a little snapshot of like your next two days because that's the reason why we're doing this at like 8 a.m. is because you're so busy. Um, oh, I just, I, uh, during COVID, I picked up a job when we got stood down and they were a bit short staffed this week and just asked if I could do a couple of hours in between my, my coaching shift. So that's today and tomorrow I've got a, a few hours there, but, um, you know, just between tomorrow, we've got a big race sort of day with our senior surf, junior surf and our top swim squad as well, just because there's nothing going at the moment. So just trying to make sure that kids uh, want to stay engaged and our top surf guys, you know, unfortunately, while well, the elites have the golds and we've got a few of those that swim with us, the the younger guys haven't got anything going at the moment. So just trying to keep everyone engaged. Of course, the pool rescue is being cancelled for Aussies. So, you know, tomorrow we've got race day as well and then we're doing bacon egg burgers after it. So just, you know, making sure we're all set up and all our heats are ready and getting ready for that as well today, you tomorrow. you still got your cleaning gig? Still doing the cleaning gig, yep, on a Saturday night. And last night we did it late too, just as a favour. But, yeah, still doing – we have a cleaning gig as well for Ray White commercials. So, yeah. Mate, I'm, yeah, as I said, I'm not kidding when I say hardest work. I don't think people appreciate enough how, how much – I'd listen to the things you do and I think stuff that. I mean, yeah, nowhere near the work ethic that you do. It is very inspiring. Now, before we get into it, 
how have you been through the pandemic? I know I, you know, we probably haven't caught up as much as I would have liked. So this is interesting for me to even just find out how you've been family wise with work. How have you been? What have you been up to? I think it was good. Look, I was lucky during COVID that I was able to pick up a job while we were stood down from coaching. And um, I actually had a, I was lucky to pick up about three gigs actually um, to, to get through COVID. I did enjoy COVID that it was a bit more family time. You know, my husband was stood down and didn't work at all through COVID. So I was home for, you know, only just picked up a job a month ago. So he was home for, for a good, you know, five months. So yeah. um, it was good having some family time. I think it was good to just to have a bit of a chill from swimming. Don't take it the wrong way. But, you know, you always got to look at a positive you know, get a positive out of a negative. And I suppose for myself, the positive was spending a bit more time at home with the family, even though I was working and, and just having a bit of a chill and a bit of me time. That's probably the good thing that came out of COVID. I think too, you know, for my athletes of all levels from our elite surf to our, our you know, all our squads was, you know, some of these kids are 15, 16 boys at the moment. And for them to have a little rest in the mornings and have sleep-ins and allow their bodies to grow. They would have loved it. That was a really big positive for me. Without them feeling they had to come training, do you yeah. mean? Because everyone was on a break. And even the elite surf talking to them, a couple had niggles or injuries. And, you know, we're looking, some of them only got a couple more years in the sport, how to best, um, you know, making sure that we are at the best of their game and to, to be able to be winning and keep their sponsors and endorsements going for the next couple of years till they retire, that it was good for them too to have a bit of a mental break. You know, I think for everyone the mental break was big, um, but it was positive as well. But also too, we did stay engaged while we were away as well. You know, we set up private Facebook pages for each squad and we'd post on there every couple of days, check in, we'd have a Zoom, you know, gym or a Zoom FaceTime to talk to everyone, how everyone's going, had mm. some meetings, posted weekly sessions up. And, and if they wanted to do it, they could do it. If they didn't want to do it, they didn't have to do it. So, you know, just trying to stay engaged, but without the pressure there for them. And, and it was good that, you know, I know they were learning online, but some just were able to catch up on things that they were a bit behind in. Did you find some of them struggle getting back into it with those sleep-ins that they enjoyed them a little bit too much? They well, came in a bit you know, sleepier. We were probably pretty lucky. We were, we started back in the water a couple of weeks before our pool actually opened. Um, very lucky that Andrew Bowden gave us lane space, but of course could only have nine swimmers in the water, yeah. could only have an hour, <clears throat> two one-hour slots to fit everyone in. So, you know, it was greatly appreciated that he opened one of his learn to swim pools to us to to utilize, which was great. You know, I just had to take the covers off and pill test every morning and, you know, and then lock up and, you know, that, and it was fabulous. So, you know, they, they had a little practice of three mornings, you know, that we only swam for an hour. So, and then we just really started back slow, you know, because there was really nothing on the board. There was no pressure for us to really get back and hammer up. We wanted to come back safely mm. and we wanted to make sure that we covered everything when we come back because they were so land-based while we were off and doing maybe a lot of running and that the arms weren't going to be ready for, you know, the swimming and stuff that we're doing. So we came back really gradually. You know, we started an hour, you know, six times or three times and we went to six and then we just moved up in 15 minute increments. And then after a couple of weeks, we added, you know, a gym, a gym, and then we added a, you know, longest in an extra swim until we're, we're back to now where we wanted to. And I, and I must say my squad particularly, and, and I must say the surf squad as well that I have, everyone's come back 
bigger and better. You know, they really are swimming really well at the moment and they're on fire. So I really think the break was a real positive for all of us. I must admit, I've noticed that too with my own athletes and I know all the swimming companies out there and all these people, they won't like hearing this, but I think it definitely showed us something about certainly the younger swimmers between maybe 12 to 14, 15 and something, there's something in that. I think about taking some time away and letting the body grow and enjoy other sports and do other things and then coming back refreshed and I don't necessarily know if we need to be flogging them all the time, Rails, based off what I'm watching. Some of these guys have come back Bigger, stronger, faster. We did a time trial the other day and they were doing PBs. Yeah, yeah. I think what COVID actually did show us was adaptability, Mm. Um, but it also showed us the resilience that these athletes have. And if anything, it probably allowed them to grow the skills of how to deal with a setback or deal when something's not going to be right. So, you know, it, it, it has given them some skills to be able to move forward in life, if something doesn't go your way, then what do I need to do to make it go my way? How do I move forward and fix that? Rather than going, oh, my God, I'm no good. This is the end of the world. Yeah. How do we progress forward? Very well said, Rails. And I think not even just our athletes, I think that's been lessons learned for everybody yeah. around the world is that, you know, things don't go the way you always plan it and you've got to adapt on the run or you're going to end up sitting at home crying about it. Yeah. With a can in your hand or a bottle or depends how much yeah. you really want to drink. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, I don't really know the, the rail story, to be honest. I know we've known each other for a long time, but I'm not really sure, you know, how you got involved in swimming and the whole story of how it all came about. So talk to me about, you know, your journey from, you know, being a young teenager through into, you know, your 20s, 30s, getting involved in coaching. How did it all happen? I um, <clears throat> used to work for a pathology company. In Brisbane, but they had no um, available. Like, I wanted to move to the coast, but there's no spots down the coast. And when I was younger, I swam for Laurie Lawrence, and he had a spot in down here at Palm Beach. And that's where I first started with Gray McDonald at Palm Beach. And then when Laurie opened, well, got the lease on the Mudrabar pool, which is just behind the Mudrabar pub at Mudrabar, and all the back then. All the dairy farms were out there, you know, not like now. I don't think there's one still standing. Mm. And um, I moved to Hinterland Aquatic and um, coached there. And I was lucky enough that's where I got my first national age qualifier in the, in a short course pill. And um, so I always laugh when people go, oh, you know, you can't get anyone out of a short course pill. You know, you certainly can. You just got to make sure you're doing it right or inspiring them to, to do it right. And I think, oh, you know, <clears throat> well, I don't like short course personally. <laughs> it does. It really improve their turns. You know, they, you can work underwater better. You can work your turn. So there's some positives that come out of the negatives there with that as well. And then um, <clears throat> a position became available for the national age coach at Miami. And like I, I used to go for a swim at Miami there and I'd known, sort of known Dennis, you know, a little bit. And my husband had worked, uh, played water polo there. So, you know, I knew a few other people and um, I applied for it just before my um, eldest child, about three weeks before she was born. And then was lucky enough to get the position. And that's how I sort of have been at Miami 23 years now. Swimming-wise, how'd you go? You see, you're training with uh, Laurie yeah. Lawrence. That, that yeah. couldn't have been, back in the day, there would have been some kilometres. There would have been some hard yakker in there. Sessions, 10K a session, gym <laughs> four or five times a week. Yep, yep. It was the hard slog, you know. Not like these days, but yeah. 
And how'd you go with all of that? How, what was sort of a swimmer were you back in the day? Um, I was an okay swimmer. I went, you know, not too bad. Modest. That's that's. What I always tell people. People ask me how I swim. I say horribly. I'm very very honest because I don't want people to actually you know fact check and go back and look and go. This guy's he couldn't swim to save his life. Um, <laughs> mate, what did you enjoy most about coaching when you first started? What sort of drew you towards it? I think I suppose like anyone, you know, you, the the excitement you get from seeing a kid progress from one level to the other or achieving a state title time or achieving a regionals time or making the school South Coast team for school swimming. I suppose the, you know, it could even be, you know, I know it's really funny, but it could even be an adult that's never swum before in their life swimming 15 metres or 25 metres. You know, I still remember to this day I had a parent at Miami who couldn't swim but wanted to learn to swim. And it's a gentleman, he's quite big, he's quite tall, you know, so a bit heavy. And I remember the first few weeks I would take my shoes and socks off and my phone and leave it on the pool deck, in, honestly, because I thought I would have to hop in. Mm. But now he swims 3.4K, no worries at all, you know. So, so the milestones, I think, they don't have to be the big things or just the excitement even when Dennis had his guys, you know, winning at nationals or making an Australian team or seeing, you know, Gian and Kuala Lumpur win. You know, those sort of things are, are what excite you and I think the passion that you get to try and keep going. Is that all the same things that still motivate you to today? I think so. I mean, I think sometimes we get a bit complacent, you know, like everyone and you sort of, you know, you get sometimes you can get in a bit of a, you know, just go, okay, what, what am I doing? But I think you have to, you know, the mental, sometimes the mental side, I think, can just drag us down for a little bit, you know, when you, you've got a lot on, you know, you, you know, dealing with athletes and parents and things might be going well, well for some kids, do you know what I mean? That, that their emotional stress transfers to, I know, transfers to me. I always worry, you know, when we're going to states or nationals and kids have been swimming well and then they're not swimming well or hey, they get an injury, we haven't done the work behind us and that sort of yeah. stuff. So I think, you know, that can mentally drag people down too. So, um, yeah. But being a woman in coaching, I mean, it shouldn't make a difference to anything, but did it when you first started? Like when you first got into coaching, there probably wasn't as many females coaching as there are now. It was probably a little bit more dominated by men back then. Did you feel that, you know, the boys might have got, you know, some more opportunities or got treated differently back then? Have you seen it change over time? Because obviously, you know, now on pool deck when I'm walking around, I, I almost see it 50-50 these days. I don't think it really, it, to me, it doesn't make a difference. I don't see males or females. I just see coaches everywhere. But I'm assuming back in the day when it first started, it probably wasn't that way. I, um, I'll be honest, Robbie, I really have never had an issue. I've never felt like that I've been discriminated against or I haven't made a team because that because in swimming you stand on your own merit and 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 we're on an even playing field like I, I remember going to a nationals in Perth one year and watching Lynn Elliott um, coach and coach a, a kid that made the Pampac team junior Pampacks I think and <clears throat> I forget his surname but the first name was Peter and it was the six 17 years 50 freestyle and won it in an Australian record you know and I just went wow I really want it that's where I want to go you know it was my first nationals I didn't have a lot of kids I had a couple but I went that's what I want to strive to and I think you know it's 
for me, I've just considered myself one of the boys. You just get in there, you do your work, and you know what? Whatever comes your way, you just lump it. Like, you know, you get on with it. It's part of the job. If you've got kids that are swimming well, you're going to make that team. If you're putting the work in, you're going to make that team. So I think for me, I was really, really lucky that, you know, I was able to do a job because my husband had a good job. It didn't worry about me having a little wage or whatever. You know, I could do what I really wanted to enjoy. Yeah. I was lucky too that, you know, early mornings, he wouldn't leave to work for a bit later. We'd transition with the kids or, you know, we had a couple of great babysitters when they were little. My mum helped a lot, you know, I helped out too. So, you know, it really had a good support system. So I really didn't feel <clears throat> I was discriminated against. I, I did get one piece of advice. Probably the second year I went to nationals from Lynn Elliott, she came up to me and she said to me, I'm going to give you one piece of advice if you want to succeed in this sport. And that is to never wear a skirt or a dress on pool deck. We're just the same as the boys, no skirts or dresses. So to that day, I've never worn a skirt or a dress on pool deck and we still laugh about it. But, you know, because coaching's coaching and you just get in there, you know, you learn by your mistakes, you know, and you speak to other coaches. I was pretty lucky coming up. I was on a few talent ID camps with Peter Freeney and, and some other, you know, Brent Best, um, Shannon Rollinson, um, you know, and, you know, that I could talk to, you know, but Peter Freeney and, of course, Dennis, but, you know, a few of those older coaches really did help me along the way with, you know, if, whenever I was stuck I had a question, you know, so I was really pretty lucky in that way. As coaches, whether, you know, male or female, doesn't matter. We're either relaxed, we're high intensity, we've all got our own unique style uh, and what works for us. What do you think your unique style is? What do you think works so well for you, for your style and, the, you know, the way you coach your philosophies? I don't know. You know, I think Dennis has always drilled in. You always want to have good skill. If you've got good skill and kids have got good skill and the foundations are solid, then they're going to swim fast. And I think too, always, Dennis always says, you know, if you're ever concerned, less is best. You know, if you're coming into a big meet, you're a bit worried, you might have done too much or something's wrong, you know, rest is best, he always said, you know, least is best. So for me, they're pretty important. But also too, Dennis always said, you always want to have a picture in your head of the stroke model that you expect your swimmers to be doing. And your eyes are your best tool to make sure you can see those faults and be picking those faults up constantly and the communication, you know, to making sure that, you, you know, if they're not doing it, well, then, you know, that's not necessarily their fault in, in, a, in a degree. I might have to say it a different way or get them out of the water or get the hand on the block or so those little things rather than letting them go up and down doing the wrong thing is picking them up and making sure that they are, constant i probably don't yell as much as i used to and i've been told that i've mellowed a lot over the last 20 years of kids that i had early that were successful and you know come back and have a swim every now and then but yeah in terms of outside of the pool though that's obviously the technical aspects but you know are you you know you just mentioned it there you don't yell as much are you a little bit more chilled and laid back i know from an outsider looking in i see you to be you know fairly tough in the way with the swimmers that you know you know what you're expecting what you and the athlete have worked together on so you definitely drill home that that part of it but there's also a, a motherly aspect that comes out in you at times which i know i look at and envy because i don't have i don't, I don't yeah. have that at all i just think 
wish I could be like that sometimes. I what think, do you like outside of the pool? I think, so, look, I try, look, I think compassion and empathy you do have to have, but there's a certain degree that you have. You don't want to be taken for a ride and, you know, I do. It irks me if I get taken for a ride. It never happens a second time, I can tell you that. But I think you've you got to try and be an all-round person. You know, I know you've got to be a hard taskmaster, but in this day and age, unfortunately, especially with your older kids, I'm talking about my boys are now in grade 11 and 12, the pressure that school puts on them, the pressure of going to uni, the pressure of getting the ATAR score they want, the pressure of the leadership, we're only a small piece of their life. And they've got to be able to have the skills to grow and to communicate and be a, a whole rounded person when they leave the sport. It's not just about winning in swimming. It's about, you know, I always say it's like you plant the seed, I water my seed, my seed starts to grow. Sometimes I've got to chop my seed back back, back a bit <laughs> and then I've got to fluff my seed back up again to, to bloom and blossom into a flower. So... <laughs> You know, I think you got to have, you, you're right, well, sometimes, you know, we try to dictate. Sometimes when they're younger, you know, we go, we're going to do this and we're trying to coach all their skills and do a lot of I am. As they're getting older, they have to have a buy-in. They have to have a say. They have to have an input. And I think it's important that we listen to that input and then go, okay, well, that's fine, but today we're not going to do that. But you know, later yeah. down, a couple of days out, we're going to do this. So I think, and also to, you know, your athletes. Like I know when my athletes in the warm-up are not good, I might have to change the warm-up on the fly. They might have had a bad day at school. So mentally too, you want to, you know, just these days the littlest things can send some kids over the edge toppling. So I think, you know, you got to still be tough, but you still got to have, you know, make sure you know your athletes and know when they're not right. I think that is great advice. Now, you obviously have been a part of, of a great team and a great team culture for a long time now. How important is a good team culture? And, and that word culture, that team culture, I mean, it gets thrown around a lot. What does it mean to you? What do you think a good team culture looks like? I suppose, you know, Miami sort of always been a family. Even after they stop swimming, they're always still a family. You know, her parents said to me yesterday, her daughter's going to high school at a private school that has their own swimming club on the coast. And someone, she said to her, you know, said, well, you know, why isn't she just going to walking from school straight to the pool? She goes, because it's our little village. Miami is our village. Everybody looks after everybody. If everyone's got, anyone's got a problem, it's a bit like in the squad. You know, if someone's down that day, the rest of the team are going to try and get them up, you know, or help them along the way. So, you know, it's just, it, it, Miami's a family, you know, trying to help everybody. If someone's down, trying to get them up, it, you know, it might take a couple of weeks, you know, not necessarily, you know, and I think just, the importance of having those friends around you when you're not going well or when you're not having a great day does help, you know, bring them up. And But also to, you know, they hold each other accountable. If someone, you know, dogs it and does a Sally Saver on the last one and hasn't been doing the whole set properly, yeah. they're going to call them on it. They're yeah. going to make them accountable. And I think in these days, too many kids are not accountable for the actions that they do. And they have to be made accountable. And, and the, the squad do. You know, my younger boys, they will hold, you know, each other accountable and give each other a serve if people aren't, you know, silly savoring. 
Do you think that's been, you know, passed down obviously with, with Dennis and the athletes that he had before, I'm assuming that would have been very much the same sort of team culture. Do you think really much has changed other than the faces and the ages? Otherwise everything still seems to be, you know, it everything sounds like it's pretty same. similar. You know what? We had a, um, we're just getting a new 50 meter pool. We lost our 50 meter pool. We lost our clubhouse that we've had for many, many years um, that the club built. And unfortunately, you know, they've given us a little, <clears throat> uh, the caretaker's house that Terry used to live in as our gym, but they aren't building us a new clubhouse, unfortunately. So we lost a bit of identity back in January and we had a big function and invited as many people as we possibly can. And there were people that, ha you know, hadn't seen each other maybe in 30 years and came back and one gentleman said to me, he's, his daughter is living in Sydney now. His granddaughter was on the junior PAMPAC team last year or the year before, I think. But he said it was just like coming back. Mm. He saw people that he hadn't seen in 20, 30 years. They sat down. It was like they'd never left. You know, everyone just comes back and it's like, it's like no one's left. Everything's still the same or was the same. Everyone was talking, you know, that it was only supposed to be for a couple of hours. It was two till four. I think I locked the gate at 9.30 that night. <laughs> You know, they just sat there talking yeah. for ages and it was old people. It wasn't just the pool guys. I'm talking about our elite surf guys. I'm talking about that came back, our elite triathlete guys, you know, that have been past the ranks, you know, or, you know, we were lucky we had a lot of Australian water polo players swim with us and one of them was a water polo player for Australia and then became a wallaby. We've had, you know, we've had a lot of, it wasn't just swimming with us, you know, our all-stars are quite big, you know, triathlon, surf, life-saving, water polo. Uh, uh, as I said, Union of Wallabies for Australia. Mm. So, you know, everyone just came back. It was like it was it was like twenty years ago when I first started. For Dennis, he was blown away with some of the people that were there. You know that that the legacy was still there, still living on. Hey, coaching boys and girls, how do they differ to you mentally? Do you think in terms of managing them and getting the best out of them individually? You know, everyone's got buttons that you need to work out. Sometimes you do push the wrong button as a coach. I know I certainly have it at times. What, where do you see the difference? I think, I think sometimes their idiosyncrasies is what you have to find out first. And then boys, I think, you know, while everyone does train, I, I have a lot more boys than I do at girls at the moment, I suppose. But, you know, girls, don't get me wrong, girls are good to train, but sometimes, you know, and I don't have any at the moment, but sometimes it can get a bit catty in the, in the group and can displace people where they you know, where you think they should be up a bit higher you know on the where they're going and stuff but I suppose I don't know that's a hard one Robbie I would say in all fairness most of my boys and girls are pretty they're pretty tough they you know you ask them to do something they'll give they'll give you a hundred percent it's interesting I asked that similar question to Greg Troy and he said in the last few years that he's, you know, noticed, he actually sees almost a role reversal in that the boys are becoming a little bit softer and wanting, you know, more rest and, and you know, getting a little bit more um, not emotional, but certainly a little bit more, you know, into it where the girls are set for him, you know, getting a bit tougher, getting the head down, just getting into it. Yeah. Um, 
you know, almost a, a role reversal in, in, I guess, from what it maybe it used to be for his, in his terms. His terms, yeah. I would once say the boys, but no, my boys are pretty good. Uh, you know, the sprint boys are maybe, they want a bit more rest. They <laughs> don't want to do as much, you know, and have a little whinge. But the middle distance, distance guys are, are very good. Mate, Dennis Cottrell, there's no doubt one of the best swimming coaches ever, in my opinion, and you worked alongside him for many years and, and learnt from him quite a lot, I'm assuming, and we've already talked about him a lot since we started. What are some of the main things that have stuck with you about Dennis and, and what made him so successful that you've, you know, you've really um, taken to heart? Skill orientation and making sure that you know, even when you're the, who even said, you know, when Grant was the world record holder, there were still things in his stroke that could be fixed to make him better, to make him faster. So I suppose that um, Dennis always said, don't give yourself an ulcer. So, you know, sometimes, you, you know, you just work and work to try and get the, the skill or get it right. He said, you know, um, and, he, and also too, I suppose, he said you, that culture is important to keep. You know, as you said, making sure that everyone's on the same page and everyone's working together. Because he said, you know, you get one bad apple and it festers in the box and then the box is rotten. So, you know, for me is to making sure that everyone's working as a team, making sure we're pulling the part, everyone's working for the, their same goals in the same direction. But I suppose for me is, you know, the work ethic too. You know, you know Dennis's work ethic is important. I suppose the... You know, in the last couple of years, you know, even now that he's not, you know, on pool deck, but we'll chat and stuff. And he's enjoying surfing twice a week, twice a day, every day. You know, he's really chilled and, you know, going here or there while we're still in a bit of a lockdown, you know, not far. You know, I might go down to Greenmount. He goes and stays a couple of nights. That's a big, like, 20 minutes down the road or whatever, but just to chill. But he says, I suppose was to take a bit of time for yourself because he, you know, he never did and, you know, like when he got quite sick with Gillian Barr syndrome, you know, he sort of tried to step back a little bit and, and take a bit of time for himself. And towards the end he was. So I suppose, I suppose taking a little bit more time, you know, Dennis and I would never have time off, you know. Mm. We're always at the pool and, you know, you know, you know, over the years I've missed a lot of my kids' stuff because, you know, it was during training or I was overseas on teams or so those little things, I suppose, looking back, you know, I have missed out on stuff and, you know, I'm a little disappointed. You know, my mum and dad always went to their stuff or my husband and, you know, they tell me about it. But you do think back and go, you know, that's a shame. Glad you mentioned that because it is my next question, um, balancing family and, and work. Do you think it's different for females than males? Um, and, and, you know, are you still obviously trying to, to find that balance? I know for me, I ask this question to every guest because, as you know, I've got an almost two-year-old daughter and a wife and a full-time <laughs> head coaching job and I'm doing this. And I, I, much the same as you, feel like there's times I'm doing things where I probably should be, you know, playing okay. around in the, yeah. in the play area with Charlie doing something ridiculous um you know i would probably say robbie years ago it might have been a different it was probably different for females years ago do you know what i mean as the the person that normally picked the kids up took them to school made sure you make sure the washing's done make sure you know the the vacuum is done you know but I, I was always, and I, that's why I hear some women go, you know, I didn't go, I went into coaching, but I didn't last because I had to do the family and stuff. I, I probably 
have been pretty lucky that I'm organised and that I, you know, my husband's around to, when he is around. He's worked away now nearly for 15 years. So we've always been pretty regimented in what gets done on what days when he's not home. But when he's home, he'll put the washing on, he'll cook dinner, you know what I mean? So I've been lucky. I've never really had to cook dinner. Came home, dinner was there, or you just had to heat it up. So, And even now my kids are older, they all, and they're full-time uni as well and stuff and, and working and all that. You know, we still have our set days. Everything's still the same and everybody chips in, you know what I mean? Like, you know, hangs the washing out, brings the washing in, all that sort of stuff, goes to the grocery store, you know, that sort of stuff. I think these days role reversals have changed a bit because there's a lot of dads that stay at home with their kids while their wife go out and work full time. Yeah. So I would say these days it's about 50-50 compared to 20 years ago when I first started. Yeah. 50 50 is definitely the case yeah i know for me and my wife uh if i'm at work in the morning then she's obviously home i get home then she goes to work yeah then she gets back from work and then i go to work i mean it's not great there's many times we just don't really see each other as you know you can understand as well but you know we we just make it work eh? yeah you do so you know at the moment you know my husband's coming home tonight he'll be home four days before he flies out again so you know you sort of just grab the time when you can, you know, and, you know, you know, you just, you know, we talk every night on the phone or, you know, when he's, uh, when he's away, but yeah, you know, you just try and fit it in where you can or grab a Friday night and go out, you know, just go into surface and, you know, stay at a resort in there. And it's sort of like a little break, it's better as a holiday. So, you know, and grab some time and yeah. I know I had Gian on once and she mentioned that um, she's always looked at the work-life balance as juggling balls and that yep. you're always paying more attention to the ball that's about to drop and you just grab that and then you get it up and then you just yep. keep juggling again. Yep. So that's probably always the one that resonated with me most. I don't think anybody actually ever had it. No one has ever answered it with, actually, I do feel like I have the, the, the answer to that. No, no one has the answer. It's too hard. It's too hard to juggle, you know you know, when you go away to nationals or when you go away in teams, you know what I mean? And you come home and you, you'd probably think, oh, I'd love to have a couple of days off, but then there might be the next meet or the next, you know, and you get back into it. So it is a hard act to balance life, you know, work and relaxation. Mate, you were there when, uh, you know, the uh, super squad was around, Hackett, Kowalski, Gian Rooney, Kai Hurst, et cetera. I mean, there's, there's a list of thousands. What are some of the incredible things you were fortunate enough to see on pool deck? Like, did you ever see some sets where you just were like, wow, I don't even, I didn't even think that was possible. Yeah. You know, like Grant was always amazing. Like just, you know, the sets he'd do and just being able to do it over and over again, a heart rate or, you know, for Grant too, you know, he, he was quick over the 100 and he was quick over the 15. You know, his speed range was great. You know, I think by memory he was a backstroker when he was at an age group. You know, he could swim all the strokes even as an age grouper. So, you know, even Dan Kowalski leading up to 2000, you know, his shoulder injury kicked 7K a session. You know, the nine sessions in there every day, just kicking up and down, 14K, bang, 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 bang. I mean, even the, you know, some have been lucky to have some internationals, Masada Hirano for Japan, who was their Asian record holder for years, you know, like just could kick, you know, 64 for the 100 free, you know, and Kai go with them as well, you know. Mm. So just even some of the kick sets and stuff. I remember the day Lee McBean, 
went 100 metres underwater and then passed out. <laughs> <laughs> you know that you know things that they put their body through they were mentally tough as well do you know what i mean they mightn't feel like they could do those sets but they gave it their all you know they get out and they'd be lying on their backs just huffing and puffing just trying to get the air in at the end of the set had nothing left to give what are some of your favorite dentist sets i suppose the 40 50s of 16, every four, 12, every third, uh, eight easy hard, and then four or best effort. Yeah. Um, and the surf love that as well. That's a dentist surf set. They love that. I suppose. Um, uh, what else? I, we don't, I don't mind his uh, four twos, two fours, two eights, two fours, four twos for the distance guys. Yeah. Um, uh, a broken 500. I used to like, love watching Grant do that. And then they'd swim off and go a broken three. Mm -hmm. um, just to see some speed that they could get out of that was pretty awesome. Um, I suppose. Oh, no. Even Tommy, when he was doing some IM sets as well, you know, um, I suppose my greatest regret is Dennis has been lucky to always you know, had breaststrokers, Brett Scott stocks. He had a few girls he put on junior pan, uh, on senior pan pack teams. Is to probably not see him when he was coaching Andy Bowden. Mm. You know, and the sprint work that they did then. You know what I mean? And then Stocksy with the breaststroke. You know, when you, you know, that's probably one of my disappointments that I didn't know him back then. You know, didn't work, I suppose, for him back then. Yeah. Because um, it gets lost a little bit sometimes, doesn't it? If you think uh, Dennis Cottrell these days, you think, oh, distance, Grant Hackett, you know, yeah, great. Yeah, you, know, you know, people perceive Miami's a distance program, but it wasn't. Do you know what I mean? Gian's the 100 back or 200 back. Lee McBean, 200 back, 200 free. You know, he did have Katie Kenning and, and Steve Penfold and, and they were, you know, two 400 freestyles, Penfold, 15 and 8, and Grant and Klimmy was, you know, Klimmy when Klimmy swam for us and then Kai and then, you know, so, and then, of course, you know, uh, Debbie Wade was a breaststroker. Um, you know, there's just so many people. Toby Hainan swam for us, you know, um, went to the Olympics, you know, so as a backstroker, you know, there's, there's, he's had a few, Andy Bowden, you know, so, you know, it would have been nice to see those guys training back then. In terms of your own career though, mate, what are some of the highlights so far? Um, you've been on teams, you've had some amazing yeah. experiences with, you know, with your athletes and even Ruben not long ago on, on the Yeah, you know, we, we, you know, it would have been great to go to Seychelles this year. Um, the positive out of that, I suppose, is, you know, your spot for Olympics is up for grabs again, you know. So that's something, a goal to work for, for open water. Um, I suppose Pampax um, in Victoria, Canada um, was great. Um, you know, it was just good to be around the Canadians in the US and to see how they trained. Um, going, I think it was nearly four years ago, I went to a couple of World Cups for open water to see how train, how the, the Italian girls train, mm. to see what the Brazilians did and even to see what Ferry did. You know, we went into China first 
and um, trained. And then we went to and raced 10K. And then we went to, pardon me, went into Hong Kong. And just to see what he did in the couple of days leading up to the next 10K really opened my eyes, I suppose, because I was just starting in open water back then. Like the kids were doing it and stuff. But I hadn't done 10, you know, but or seven and a half. They just were five and Ruben. But the speed that the open water guys have to have, you know, you Mm. watch that back end speed and that last K, that last 500 metres is awesome. So for me, I suppose... Being around those people just opened my eyes and gave me some more education that I needed to be able to take back and <clears throat> to put into play with my guys. So, so funny I, you say that, Rails. You know, I did um, uh, one of the conferences I went to. I can't remember. But anyway, when someone was talking about open water and they were talking about all the speed work and stuff like that, and it was for me, I was like, uh huh, what do you I, like? Because at that stage, I was still learning. So I was like, you know, they need to hold a good pace over so long, a good technique, yeah. and just hold it. Um, and yeah, anyway, so I, re- I learned all this stuff. I ended up texting my good open water swimmer at the time who'd retired and he was older by that stage. Um, and, uh, and I said, uh, turns out you're right, mate. Cause he used to say to me, can I do some speed? Can I do some speed? I said, no, don't need that shit, mate. Can just get in there and do some laps. So we, we live and we learn. Yeah, we do. You know, and Dennis was good in the open water game. You know, he was good. And, you know, we had Danielle DeFrancesco and Bonnie McDonald that Lauren Art were all in the Australian teams for open water and stuff. And, but, you know, Matt McGee really helped me. Like, really, really, you know, Matt's in Germany now. But just with, you know, we talk about sets or the start of the races. You know, the, well, the first couple of years, he was just so, it was great to chat with him and bounce ideas off and how to, you know, be. I suppose to try and get the best out of the athlete or, you know, we'd say, you know, last year we went to France for um, the French Opens, Ruben did. And, you know, the water's cold over there and Ruben doesn't handle the cold very well at all. So, you know, we used to sit in the ice bath every day. We started with five minutes and then we, you know, in 11 degrees and worked our way up to 20, 25 minutes just to mentally get ourselves prepared, you know, mm. for swimming in cold water, you know. Yeah, you got the wetsuit on, yeah? He didn't, we didn't, they didn't race in the wetsuit for the first race because they didn't deem it cold enough. Mm-hmm. But three hours later, the sun's been on the lake, no water's come in, but the girls could wear a wetsuit because it had dropped that much. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that is interesting because I've yeah. talked about a lot. I've had um, Chelsea Gebecker, Hayden Cotter, Nick Sloman, Karina Lee. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's how, because, you know, they, they all said at a certain temperature. Um, yeah. Yeah, wetsuit has to come out. So that's yeah. right. So you know, of course, the boys didn't race in it, and then some of the girls didn't. A couple of girls didn't bring their wetsuit. So then there was a mad dash to get the wetsuit at the hotel to race in it. But you know, you learn these things. I think they, you know, that you learn. You never assume. You take all your gear with you that you might need because conditions can change mm-hmm. at any time. But for us, Reuben and I, there was some learning, you know, that came out of France, and so ever grateful that we got that opportunity to go and to race now mate i know um you've you've learned a lot in in your time even just as being a head coach and from dennis as well for all the listeners out there the young coaches just getting into it maybe they're just getting a head coaching gig and looking at trying to build a legacy in a program like miami has what what advice would you give to those guys think if you're just starting off you don't want to be head coach straight up 
you need to get a couple of years under your belt. You need to learn and experience everything there is, the highs, the lows. So when you do step into a head coach position, you are prepared. You know, even when I stepped in, you know, I don't think I was probably as prepared as I could have been. Do you know what I mean? It's, you know, you got parents on all different levels and squads and, you know, it's different to you just being with your own squad. You know, you've got five or six or seven other squads to be looking after, you know, parents asking questions and stuff. So I think just making sure that, you know, these days everyone wants to be a head coach straight up, you know, get a couple of years under someone with a lot of knowledge, you know, and learn those sort of things. And then you're good to go out by yourself and make your own footprint. Do you think people think it's easy being a head coach? I quite often think people, I've seen assistant coaches, I've seen parents almost tell me as if they know, oh, they could have done the, the, the same job. Sure, I, I, I think they do. I don't think that they understand the time you're at home, you know, creating the programs, working on your weekly sessions, then, you know, doing gym, um, getting some PD, you know, planning the season, planning the four-year cycle, planning the year cycle, you know, planning the kid. Then they throw a spanner on the works and a kid's got an ear infection or a kid gets a shoulder injury or a kid fell over at school and broke their ankle and, you know, all these sort of things, you know, or, you know, and then you've got to come up with another plan. It's not, you just don't plan for the whole squad and everyone does the same, unfortunately. Mm. Every kid is individual and you have to individualise your whole session around every single kid in that squad. Yeah, I think that's probably, I I agree. That's probably one of the most time-consuming things. The sets and all that sort of stuff is okay. And especially once you have a directive, you sort of know where you're going. Everything will flow after that. But just keeping on top of is everybody okay? Are they in the right frame of mind? Is school okay? Is home okay? Certainly as they get older, are they having troubles with their boyfriend, their girlfriend? I mean, I don't really want to ask and get right into it, but you need to make sure they're in a healthy state of mind. That's for sure. That's right. That's right. Otherwise, you're not going to get anything out of them either. Absolutely. Now, mate, I like to finish a lot of my chats with some less serious questions. I know you haven't listened to the podcast, so you won't know this, but I like to, <coughs> pardon me, just get to know you a little bit more for the listeners out there, what you do at home, away. And actually, this might be interesting because I know you don't have a lot of time on your hands, so you might answer, I don't do any of these, but we'll soon find out. Okay. So what's your favourite music to listen to? <laughs> um, Violent Femmes. Okay. Well, so do you listen, if you listen to the radio now or do you put like... Um, I turn the radio off, off and drive in silence. Do you? What, so what do you think about when you're driving? Just everything that's coming in the day, how I've got to plan, what I've got to do, what's happening next week. Silence kills me sometimes. I do the same thing sometimes, but there's got to be times where you just crank up the tunes in the morning, coffee in the hand and just pump. Actually, you wouldn't have to go that far to get to work though, would you? <laughs> Four minutes if I'm lucky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got a 40-minute drive. No wonder I need music. Uh, mate, what about movies? What sort of – what are your favourite movies? Have you watched any since you had that time in isolation? Did you get a chance to watch some? No. But – oh, yeah. Yeah, I watched Paddington Bear the other day, Paddington Bear 2. How exciting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good old Paddington. Probably comedies I like, you know. Yeah, what ones? Go on. Oh, Oh, actually, I tell a lie. I did watch something because I am a bit of a, 
you know, I do like history and, you know, and I think we should be grateful for the men and women that served and have given us freedom over the years. So I watched the Battle of Long Tan about two Fridays ago, um, you know, but I don't mind watching the History Channel on, you know, wars and stuff like that. Yeah. But I'm greatly appreciative to the people that have served, you know, we, I had grandparents that have served as well. So, it, you know, I, I do appreciate the sacrifice those people have made for us. Absolutely. I, I couldn't fathom at times the things that they've gone through or, you know, the people that sign up now. Like, I, you know, I can't even, if I get in a fight, I just run away. I just, I'm just not that yeah, way. Yeah, it does annoy me sometimes, Robbie, that you think these people in Vietnam and that were only 18 or 17, do you mm. know what I mean? And were fighting for, you know, for their life over there anyhow. And then we've got people over here that can just destroy property or be hurting up and down the Gold Coast at that age. And you think, have the decades separated us that much that we have people that are that inconsiderate, mm. that have no idea what people have done before them to provide us with the freedom they have? Wasn't Bernard Tomic, was it? Pooning up and down the golf. <laughs> I don't know if he still lives there, but I know he used to. He used to get speeding tickets for hooning yeah, around. True, true. Uh, do you read books? Uh, yeah, sometimes. I do Any you'd books. recommend? I like. <clears throat> um, I just. Oh, no, probably no to recommend. No. <laughs> All right, you know, for anyone that doesn't, if anyone that's looking for a recommendation, I think the Phil Jackson one, you know, the uh, Michael Jordan's old coach? Yes. Yeah, he's, he's got a book out. I can't tell you, I can't remember the name of it, but I've heard some very good things and I'm actually looking to, to get it myself. So I, I, I read one by Mayor Giuliani, the, um, the New York. New York Mayor, Mayor yeah. Yeah, I liked that one. The Giuliani principle, that was good. Yeah. What about favourite meals? What, what's your favourite food to tuck into? Oh, um, chicken parmy. Good choice. Or a homemade or at the pub? Either one. Either one. Or a cremated steak and salad. What is that? Cremated steak cooked really well done. Yeah, I was going to say, is is, is it (laughs) exactly how it sounds? None of that blood stuff for me. Sorry. (laughs) But you've been to some uh, fantastic countries. What are some of your favourites? Obviously, I know Australia would be, but what wouldn't you've been out of Australia? What's Hawaii, Hawaii, or Hawaii? Um, Las Vegas. Um, Love Victoria, Canada. Love the the lake there was sensational. Um, Mumbai was interesting. Mm. Um, Interesting how? Interesting. That was. We were there the week before the bombings for Junior Commonwealth Games. Everything was high alert. We we were allowed to go out once to the shops. Um, We had a... um, an Indian soldier with us with AK-47s and we had to, and we were in groups of four and we had to mm. stay with him at all times. He'd come in the shop with us. So, so that was an interesting um, experience. And, and it was interesting too, because the Canadians and the Brits were in the hotel that wasn't finished. So there was rats running over them at night and that we were in the little dorms a little way away with some other countries. And you know, we had a rat come up our drain pot. You know, we had to put the buckets on our fill with water. So they weren't quite finished, but, you know, it made us all very resilient. Mm. The, the first day there, the team doctor 
for all the the Australian team swimming athletics, all of us that were there for junior comp games just said to us, you know, if any of the rabies, any of the dogs running around bite you, please come straight to us so we can give you a rabies shot. So that that sort of stuck in my mind for the whole time we're there and these dogs running around. But yeah. Bloody right, resilience. Mumbai was interesting, so yeah. I must admit, uh, I've asked a lot of the guests about Delhi because a lot of the people I've speak to on here went to went to Delhi Com Games, and yeah, they interesting is the way they describe it as well. Wales, no one, no one ever, no one ever brags about it. I can assure you, but it's always interesting. And the day we got there to swim at the pool, we didn't swim the first day because the pool was green. But then it got better, and there was a pollution plant right next door to, to the pool. Oh, perfect! And, yeah, yeah, it was smoke. So it was good, you know. It's interesting. <laughs> interesting. Hey, next time we go to the pub, what sort of a drink would I be shouting you if I was going to the bar? Um, a coke or a lemon lime and bitters. Very nice. Very nice. Mate, I think that's a perfect chance to wrap it up there. I want to thank you for coming on for a chat. I know, yeah, as I said, and I don't, I'm not exaggerating this, you are extremely busy and you're in and you're out. So I appreciate you taking the time to, to come on for a chat with me. Um, good luck with your athletes over the next, you know, six to nine months and leading into next year and fingers crossed everything sort of gets back to yeah, semi-normal yeah. and we can do it. But yeah. uh, Good luck with it all, mate. And thank you very much for coming on Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you for having me on today. Appreciate it. Today's episode of Off The Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you, as always, by Pro Swim Workouts. What an amazing week it has been on the show. And I want to thank all my guests for coming on and helping us shine a light on Women's Health Week. Let's continue to do great work in this area and support this very important topic. Now, I promised for a while, and next week it is here. I'm going to call it, it is the biggest week ever on Off The Block Swimming Podcast as we turn back the clock to 2000 and set our sights on Sydney and celebrate the 20-year anniversary of the greatest Olympic Games of all time. Now, I'm not going to say any names as such, but what I will do is I'll give you some clues as to who's coming on and what's coming your way next week. To help me celebrate the massive games that it was will be a woman who has more than earned the nickname Madam Butterfly. We are also going to have one of the best breaststrokers ever, in my opinion, who isn't an Australian and is most known for her world records and swimming without goggles. And we are going to finish the week with, uh, in my opinion, and many people's opinion, four boys who pulled off the greatest race in Australian swimming history. And I'm just going to leave it at that. And I'm sure you can connect the dots after that. In case you can't tell, I'm very excited and I'm super excited for next week and what's coming your way. There may be even a few more surprises along the way. You will just have to listen in and find out. Until next week, though, guys, put your phone down. Enjoy some time with your family this weekend. To steal a line from Rover McManus, say hi to your mum for me. And it's bye for now. (laughs) 